Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the following message. All right, good morning. How are you this morning? Yeah, everybody doing good? You enjoy the cold weather? It's nice and crisp, gives an energy in there. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Well, it's great to be with you. Great to see you all this morning. For those of you worshiping online, we're thankful for you and for you uh, tuning in with us to worship the Lord Jesus today. Uh, So a couple of years ago, I found a trick when it comes to reading a book. You ready? The trick is, is getting to know the author. It's a big thing, right? I've read a lot of different books and, and, and quite frankly, missed a whole lot of the context of what the argument or the story or, or whatever that may be because I didn't know who the author was. And then I figured out when you learn a little bit about the author, it's like it brings the story to life or it brings the argument to life. And I have found that to be true. Well, there's one particular author that I've read a ton of his books, but I'd never knew who he was. And then not long ago, I stumbled upon a biography of him and I, I began reading a little bit about his life and it really changed the way that I viewed his work. Uh, when he spoke, I seemed to listen in a little bit more because it was profound. And, and part of the reason why is because he grew up as a missionary kid in China. His name is Oz Guinness. If you've read a book or maybe you heard him speak, he's incredible. He's a great thinker, great speaker, great writer. Uh, but his story is, is really, really neat. In fact, he was born and raised on the mission field in China. Spent the first 10 years of his life on the mission field. Now, uh, that kind of led into World War II and and right after World War II in 1959, his mom and dad uh, were actually kicked out of China and they were sent back home. Communist power had taken over the country and they had pushed them out of China. Being missionaries, the government moved them out of China so they had to return home. Now, here's something that's really, really cool about their family story. So at the age of 90, his dad decided, you know what, I'm gonna go back to China and I'm just gonna see what, See what, what it's like back in China where we spent all those years ministering and sharing the gospel and seeing people come to know Christ. And so they returned back to China and here's what they found. It was really, really cool that the ministry that they had started was still at work. So the ministry that God started in them was still very much at work. The, the people that they had shared the gospel with, the people that they had trained up in the faith, the leaders that they had trained were still uh, sharing the gospel and training up others. And, and what the Guinness family realized is that while their presence wasn't there, they had left a, a, a legacy, a legacy of purpose behind them, even in China. So the government may have thought, oh, I'm going to put, it, put an end to this ministry and, and this gospel ministry. The Lord thought something different. Because when you and I take the Great Commission seriously, and like uh, Barbara said this morning in the video, when we take the Great Commission seriously, understanding that it is a command and it is a responsibility of, uh, of Christians, God can take that and do amazing things, even in a country where it's illegal. It's pretty cool, pretty neat story. So this morning, what we're going to be talking about is our joy, our responsibility to leave a legacy of purpose. We're talking about what uh, many of us would call disciple making, discipleship. That's what we're talking about is leaving a legacy of purpose. Now, as followers of Christ, as I've mentioned, it's our responsibility to leave a legacy. 
You know, and I think when, you know, we've been kind of walking through this, this series of the discipleship pathway, um, you know, it's easy to look at these four things and, and think, man, I can kind of check the box, right? So each one of these has two steps within it. And I can, I can look at those steps and think, okay, begun a relationship with Jesus. Great, check. Um, you know, I've connected with the church. I've committed to a church, check. You know, I'm going to a Sunday school class, working on loving people, kind of check, half check, we're working on that, right? Serving in my gifting. And so we can, we can kind of get to that point where we're checking a lot of boxes. But the reality is, is that when it comes to something like this, and, and when we give you a kind of a pragmatic look at discipleship, what we have to focus on is that it was never Jesus's intent that we would arrive but rather that we would always be growing, that we would always be growing in our, our relationship with Jesus, that we would always be growing in our love and commitment to the local church, that we would always be growing in our love for God and His Word, that we would always be growing in, in loving people more and more and more, even those difficult ones, right? Thanksgiving's coming up, remember that. I know, right. We would always be growing in these things. We'd be growing in our unique gifting that God has given you to serve His body. That we would be growing as a people as we serve to seek the welfare of our city. And that we would be growing in our ability and our confidence to share the gospel with those who may be far from God in our life. That we would always be taking the next step and the next step and allowing these steps to become deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. See, for the Bible, this is what is called discipleship. It is a pathway of following Jesus. Now, I think it's helpful for us to just be reminded that a disciple is someone who is connecting with Jesus. Remember, it's an ongoing thing. We're ongoing. We're connecting with Him. We're growing with Him. We're building a relationship with Him, right? It's someone who is growing in God, in love with God, and with other people, who is serving God and multiplying the kingdom of God. That is a disciple, but here's the deal, it doesn't stop there. And I think so often we can find ourselves stopping at that point. But maybe you're saying, maybe you're in the room and you're like, okay, I've, I've connected with Jesus, I've begun that relationship, I've, you know, I've committed to a church, I'm growing in love with God, in love with people, I'm in a Sunday school class or small group or whatever that might look like. And, and, and man, I'm, I'm working hard to love people. I'm, I'm, I'm working hard to serve my, in my unique gifting and, and so on and so forth. But it can't stop there. See, because as we're growing here, our goal as people, the way that we're going to leave a legacy of purpose is by helping other people do the very same thing. And so this is a, um, it, it's a will that keeps on going in your life. We never end that will. We just keep on going and we keep on going and we keep on going as we keep on growing and then we help other people to keep on growing. And so it continues in a whole life of pouring into people and investing into people. And so that's what we're talking about, leaving a legacy of purpose. Now, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we talked about this last week. We looked at the Great Commission last week. Uh, but we're, we're going to take a, a, a look at it again because there's something that I want you to see that oftentimes I think we can gloss over and miss. So Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, I want you to read along with me. So this is Jesus speaking. And here's what Jesus says. 
He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to see. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, last week we talked about the reality that God has a plan A. You remember what it was? What was plan A? Us, right? God's plan A to reach the nations is not someone out there. It's you sitting in the pew right now, today in 2022 in Belton, Texas. God's plan A for us to reach our community to the ends of the earth is us. It's us in this room. Now, when it comes to the Great Commission, Oftentimes, we talked a little bit about this last week as well, that we leave that up to the professionals. Well, that's, that's, that's up for those people that God has called and uniquely equipped. And, and that's right, that's, that is true. But if you're a believer in the room, and if you are a follower of Jesus and therefore a disciple, that that is God's calling on your life as well. And so here embedded in the commission is Jesus's, uh, is his command to his disciples that it is their responsibility to do at least two things. Two things, the first one is that they are to share the message of the gospel. We talked at length about that last week, that this responsibility that you and I are called to be faithful to share. But then there's a second part. The second part of the Great Commission is that you and I would be faithful to also teach. So it's not only that we go and share, but it's also that we go and share and then teach. So we proclaim the gospel message, we invite people to believe, and then we instruct them in what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. So to fail to hold both of these in tension, to weigh these in balance, is to miss the Great Commission all together. So to fail to hold both inviting and instructing in balance. So we proclaim the gospel, we instruct, we invite people into believing the gospel, and then to instruct them in the way of which a disciple lives and follows Jesus is one and the same coin. And to miss that would be to fail in the Great Commission altogether. Altogether, I love what one author writes. He says, teaching obedience to all of Jesus's commands forms the heart of disciple making. He says, evangelism must be holistic. If non-Christians are not hearing the gospel and not being challenged to make a decision for Christ, then the church has disobeyed one part of Jesus's commission. If new converts are not faithfully and lovingly nurtured in the whole counsel of God's revelation, then the church has disobeyed the other part. So it's both inviting people to believe, and from those who believe, we're going to instruct them and teach them in the way of Christ. That's called discipleship. Now, for whatever reason, it seems that from history, we've, we've somehow kind of misunderstood the Great Commission. Here's what I mean by that. Rather than seeing these two as the same side, or two, two sides of the same coin, we've made them kind of at war with one another. 
We've, we've, we've talked about, you know, evangelism and, and, and the importance of going and sharing and proclaiming the good news and seeing people come to know Christ. And then there's the other thing over here called discipleship. But the reality is, is that when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't give this two-part to the Great Commission. He said, this is making disciples. And you make disciples by proclaiming and then teaching. So to fail to hold both of those in tension is to fail the Great Commission all together. And so it's our responsibility to hold both of them together. Now, kind of where we've seen this play out, and I've used this kind of language myself, we've, we've said things like, well, just get them saved. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. We obviously want people to come to know Christ. But when just get them saved is divorced from teaching them how to follow Christ, what we've done is we've made converts, but not disciples. And Jesus' vision here is not to make converts, it's to make disciples who are making disciples and making disciples and making disciples and making disciples. In fact, that is in fact the model that Jesus gives to us from his very own life. He even says, you know, maybe, maybe if you read the read the Gospels, it's pretty amazing, right? Jesus will proclaim to, you know, thousands and thousands of people, right? We know for sure, at least on one, one, one occasion, there was probably 15,000 people that Jesus was preaching the Gospel to, right? And then he had his 75, and then he had his 12, and then Jesus had his three. And so Jesus would, would pour out his life. He'd pour the Gospel message into these people. He was training them for ministry, and then he was sending them out, Right? Can you imagine if Jesus just said, hey, all that I'm telling you, just soak it up for yourself. He never says that. He says, go and make disciples, and you make disciples by proclaiming the message and then teaching them all that he has commanded. And so again, they're one in the same. For us to miss that is to make converts and not disciples. We want to be a church that makes disciples. This is our job, and this is our responsibility. And guys, this cannot be, nor should it ever be, delegated to simply the professionals, those who are called vocationally. We're all called. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 makes that very clear that we are all ministers. If you're in Christ, you're a minister, whether you realize that or not. You are a minister, a representative, an ambassador of the kingdom of God on this earth. Now, here's the deal. I am no good at math. You'd never want to come to me for math help. Uh, Thankfully, I married Jordan because she's amazing at math. But here's what I can do. I can read a good chart. And so I, I've got a chart for you I want you to see. This is a really, really, really cool chart. And, and, it, and it'll show you something really neat here. I want you to take a look at the first column there. Really the second column, rather. So the second column shows you a picture of, in one year, a single evangelist proclaiming the gospel message to one person a day for a single year. So at the end of year one, that person has proclaimed the gospel, that person has believed, and over 365 days, we've had 365 people come to know Jesus. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? It's pretty awesome. Now, over a period of 16 years, here's what happens. 5,840 people come to know Christ in 16 years. Well, that's amazing. It's amazing to see that one person per day come to know Christ for 16 years adds up to 5,840 people. It's incredible. Now look at the third column. 
In that third column, you'll see the influence of someone who we would consider to be a disciple maker. Now that would be uh, me or you proclaiming the gospel, maybe where we work, uh, maybe at school, maybe our neighborhood and our families. And let's just say that person comes to know Christ. And so the next year I spend training them in the faith, teaching them how to follow Jesus and then also to do the same, right? And so year number two, those two people take two more people. Now you have four. Year three, those four people take four more people. Now all of a sudden you have 16. And at the end of 16 years, look at that number. 65,536 people have come to know Christ and are being trained in the faith to go and to make more disciples. What you're seeing here is a movement of disciple making of disciples taking the Great Commission seriously to both proclaim the gospel and then for those who believe, raise them up, teach them to obey the commands of Jesus and then send them out to go make more disciples. And that creates a movement of, of gospel witness in a community all across the world. Listen, church, if you want us to make an impact, and I sure hope you do, this is the way you do it. We proclaim the message And then we raise up and we train people to take the gospel message where they live, work, and play so that all who are far from God may come to know him and may be trained up to live out the gospel in their life and help other people do the same, to help other people connect, grow, serve, and multiply. Now, it's really neat because, you know, Paul captures Jesus' vision really, really well. And when he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, specifically in 2 Timothy, he kind of gives us our, a game plan, so to speak, on how we are to do this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Paul, he writes this to, to young Timothy. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now you have to understand the context between Paul and Timothy. So Paul shares the gospel, Timothy believes, and then Paul takes him under his wing and he begins to teach him ministry. He raises him up, he teaches him what it looks like to follow Jesus. Timothy ultimately ends up being a pastor, which is a really great thing and an an influencer in his community. But in chapter one of 2 Timothy chapter, chapter one, Paul tells Timothy, he says, listen, don't forget the power of the gospel message. And, and he commends them to preach the gospel. But then in chapter two, what, is, what, is, what does Paul start with? He starts with the importance and the responsibility of for those who have believed to raise them up and instruct them in the way of following Jesus. He teaches them to look for faithful men, faithful people who can teach others also. And so the question that we need to ask is, well, how do I find these people? If this, is what, if this is kind of the game plan that Paul gives us, well, then how do I find these faithful people? Well, number one, we need to look for people in whom God is at work. So I want you to think about the people in your life and that relational network that we worked through last week. You know, there's at least four people in your life who you might consider far from God. At least four, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four. But we, we talked about the different areas of your life. So school, work, family, neighborhood, extracurriculars, right? I want you to think about that. And I want you to think of that person who you know is far from God. 
Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think, and really, I want you to think like a missionary. And, and if you go to take a missionary missiology 101 class, here's what they're going to talk to you about. They're going to say that a good missionary strategy begins with a phrase called people of peace. So out of your relational network, who are those people of peace? A person of peace is someone who uh, seems to show an interest in Christianity or maybe gospel conversations. Maybe there's somebody that you've begun a relationship with at work or in your neighborhood who doesn't really seem turned off by Christianity. It seems like they're far from God, but you know, they don't go to church. They, they don't seem like they demonstrate any sort of relationship with Jesus, but they also don't seem turned off by it. They maybe ask you some questions about you and your church life and, and those kind of things, right? That's a person of peace. So we wanna look for those folks. The second group of folks that we're looking for might be those folks who have already begun a relationship with. Maybe it's somebody again who um, you began a relationship with and you had the opportunity to share the gospel with them and they've come to faith and now they're super hungry. You remember back in those days when, when you first accepted Christ? You remember how fired up you were and you were hungry and you're just, what are my next steps? What do I need to be doing? Well, we all have people like that in our lives, right? Those people who God is working at work in and man, they're just fired up. They're just looking for somebody to take them under their wing and begin to pour into them. You know, Sam would be a good example of this. Sam's are just recently made a decision to follow Christ. He's looking for next steps, asking lots of questions. Seems to be really hungry for someone to invest in him and help him in this new relationship. Man, we need to be looking for Sam's. We need to be looking for people like him. A third group of people that we're looking for, these are those folks who, um, and maybe you can relate to this. This is a little bit of my story. Um, those folks maybe who grew up in church, you know, they spent a whole life of time in the church, you know, growing up, they were part of Bible studies. They were in Sunday school. Mom and dad were faithful Christians, but for whatever reason, it just never really seemed to click, right? Kind of that head knowledge that they know of the Bible and they know of faith and the church and all that kind of stuff and their heart just never really seemed to line up. You know, and, and so, you know, they go off to college and, you know, they kind of do their thing. They're in and out of church and all those deals. And then they graduate, they move off, maybe they get married and, and maybe a life circumstance happens and all of a sudden God just kind of turns on that light bulb. And man, they become fired up for the Lord like never before. They're reading scripture like they've never read it before. Man, it's just jumping off the page at them. They're just hungry for more of God. A great example of that would be Jessica. Jessica grew up in the church. Uh, man, super great girl. She even did some leadership. She led worship. Uh, was a part of a lot of different Bible studies. But again, went off to college. Just never really connected. You know, made some poor choices. But ultimately she graduated, she moved back home, she started going to church again, and, and that light bulb went off. And all of a sudden she's hungry. She wants to know more of Jesus. She wants to study the scriptures. She wants to grow in her relationship with God, with others. And that's a great example of somebody who we wanna take under our wing and begin to pour our lives into. So Paul tells Timothy, look for faithful people. But then number two, he says, look for people who can pour into others also right? Paul tells Timothy, look for people who will be able to teach others also. Um, in his helpful book on preaching, Tim Keller does a great job helping us understand what, what Paul means here when he's talking about teaching. I think we can hear the word teach and think, oh my gosh, I can't do that. How am I ever going to teach anybody else to teach, right? 
but Tim Keller breaks it down into three different particular categories. He, he says there's, there's a level three ministry of the word, and level three is probably what you're thinking about when you think of teach, the idea of teaching, which is like master teacher, where, um, you know, think Sunday morning worship service, where somebody gets up and, and in front of a, a bunch of different people, gets up and proclaims, procla- proclaims the word. That's level three ministry, okay? It takes a unique gifting, a unique skill, a little bit of crazy, um, but that's level three, right? Then there's a level two. Level two is a little bit smaller. It requires a, a, a little less, uh, or a little different set of skills and, and different things like that. That would be like a Sunday school teacher or a small group teacher, or uh, maybe somebody who is gifted in writing and they, they start a blog to minister the word. Or, or maybe that looks like joining a podcast and teaching the word via a podcast, right? That's level two. Then there's level one. Now, level one, Tim says, is one-on-one or two-on-one discipleship ministry. And the beautiful part about discipleship ministry is that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a disciple, then you're equipped for it. It doesn't take a, a, a high level of skill. You don't have to get up in front of people. You don't, have to, you don't even necessarily have to prepare a whole lot of stuff. You simply just have to have a heart for God, a love for His Word, and a desire to see people um, follow Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It casts a much wider net. And thankfully, that leaves us all without an excuse. Again, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're following along these things, you ought to be able to help somebody else do the same thing. Because if you can't teach somebody else, that probably means that you're not following it either. Right? So as I follow this, and I'm, I'm following Jesus, I'm going through these steps, it's simply just bringing along somebody else and helping them do the same. And so we want to look, in, we want to look for people who can pour into others as well. Now, to bring us back to center, the call on our life is to make disciples. We do that by looking for faithful people who have a willingness to pour into others. And then we invite them into our lives, we commit to them, and we walk, through them, walk with them through an intentional process of pouring into them so that they can pour into someone else. Now, here's a great question. We've talked about the importance of disciple making, right? We've talked about that. We've talked about who are we looking for. But then there's also another question that's really, really helpful to think through is, well, well what do I do with them when I find them? What, do I, what am I supposed to do with them? Like I get the importance of this. This makes sense, right? I, I, can, I can track with that. But, but what in the world am I going to do once I find them? I mean, I mean, do I just walk them to the problem? What does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you go back to the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, teaching them all that I have commanded you that all that I have commanded you is incredibly important. Um, R.T. France, this is what he writes of that. He says that when Jesus said, teach them all that I have commanded you, historically what Jesus has in mind here is that his followers would teach that which he commanded in the Sermon on the Mount. So historically what Jesus has in mind here is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're guessing this, you would be right There is a reason as to why we went through the Sermon on the Mount before we got here. 
Because I knew that when I got to this sermon, I wanted to be able to point back and say, hey, if you do not feel like you're qualified or that you don't have anything to offer, then it's because you weren't listening to that sermon series. (laughs) See what I did? Because we were walking through that sermon series specifically for you to be equipped to take what Jesus has commanded us as his followers and pass it on to someone else. And so option number one for our discipleship making process is for you to take somebody through the Sermon on the Mount. How great is that? It's exactly what Jesus has commanded us. It it shows us, reveals us what we ought to look like as Christians in this world. That's a great starting point. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the second option. The second option is a book called Growing in Christ. This is a great book. And you know what? It's cheap. You're welcome. It's cheap. You can get on Amazon and buy this bad boy for about $7.50. Right? It's a super cheap resource, but it's an incredible resource for you uh, to disciple someone. So let's just say that uh, maybe somebody in your life is new to the faith. Man, this is a great resource for somebody who's new in the faith. It goes through scripture memory. It helps get them in the word. It helps get them and kind of understand their faith in a new way. Man, this is an awesome resource and it's super easy to walk through uh, this with somebody else. I'd encourage you to do that. Now, let's just say uh, that somebody in your life is is. Uh, more like Jessica, right? There, there's somebody who, they've been in the church, they know all the answers, all that kind of stuff, but man, they wanna dive deeper. Well, here, here's what I would recommend to you. This resource right here, it's called Discipleship Essentials. This is a fantastic resource to help you grow in your knowledge and your love for God. Man, it, it goes through all the key doctrines of the faith. It, it looks kind of timi- intimidating because it's kind of thick and big, but it's actually a workbook. So it's not nearly as bad as you might think it is. So again, no more excuses. No more excuses. It's really not as bad as it looks. But this is a great resource. In fact, uh, this was the resource that somebody took me through um, after I graduated college. Um, I had moved back home. I was was selling insurance and man, I was serving the church like crazy, man. I was hungry and fired up for the Lord, probably more so than I'd ever been in my life. And somebody noticed that and they said, hey, has anybody ever discipled you? I was like, no, I don't even know what that means. And, and this guy took me under his wing and we walked through this book. And the reason why you gotta be careful is because it was this book, the influence of this book that ultimately led me into vocational ministry. So I'm not saying that if you go through this book, you're gonna be a pastor, but um, man, this is a great resource for you. It's a great resource for any Christian. Everybody needs to have these two resources in their library. You need to have these because I can promise you, if you're actively sharing your faith with people, if you're actively sharing your faith with people, They're gonna come to know Christ at some point. If you're praying for them, asking for the Lord to save them and you're actively sharing your faith, uh, man, praise God for you to do that. Um, And they come to know faith, you need to be able to take them through their next steps. The worst thing that the church can do is to leave a baby Christian all alone. They need to be equipped. They need to be trained in the faith. And they need to be raised up and sent to make more disciples. That is Jesus's vision for our church and for our mission is to not make converts, but to make disciples who make more disciples and make more disciples. And next thing you know, we'll we'll see 60 something thousand people come to know Jesus. How awesome is that? 
over the lifetime of this church, I think about 170 years. Did you know we're about to celebrate 170 years next year? How cool is that? There's part of me that wants to say uh, or, or wishes that those who planted this church, the original people who planted this church could see this church today. I think they'd be kind of like the Guinness family to think, wow, it really mattered that the first five people that started this church, however many years ago, 170 years ago, could be here today to see all of your faces. And now let's just think in 170 more years, 170 more years that if we could be there to see all of the people that we're gonna reach through our influence of being disciples who make disciples and make more disciples and create a movement of disciple making for the kingdom of God, how powerful will that be? I think it would be pretty powerful. I think it would be great um, because it's our responsibility to leave behind a legacy of gospel ministry. And so my challenge to you this morning is, who are you handing the baton of your faith to? I want you to think about that. What kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving behind? In 90 years, Could you theoretically come back to Belton and go, wow, the ministry I started here continues today? Are you raising up people who are connecting with Jesus, growing in their knowledge of God and His Word and people who are actively serving, who are multiplying for the kingdom? Would that describe your life? And if it doesn't, why not? Because if it doesn't describe your life, then you're living in disobedience to the Lord. The reason why this is so incredibly important is not because it was a suggestion given 2,000 years ago. It was a command. It was a calling that God, through the person and the work of Jesus, gave to his disciples with the understanding that it was plan A that 2,000 years would pass and you and I would be sitting in this room hearing a very same call to go and to make disciples, understanding that it's not a suggestion. This is a command. It's a command for us, for you, for me to take this seriously. And so my question is, is are you gonna take it serious? Are you gonna leverage your life for an impact that on the day that you go be with the Lord, that people are going to stand up and say, you know what, man, I tell you, man, they made an impact for the kingdom of God. Could that be said of you? Boy, I, I hope if, if I have the honor and the privilege of, of standing up on that day on your behalf, my prayer is that I can come and I can stand up here and I can say, you know what? Their life mattered. Their life mattered. They didn't just go to work, collect a paycheck and go home. But man, they went to work with a purpose. They went to, per- they, they went to, they went to school with a purpose. They lived in their neighborhood with a purpose. Man, they did extracurriculars. They did activities with a purpose. And that purpose was to see disciples made for the kingdom of God. Man, that would be so incredibly powerful. 
You know, over the course of this series, I've, I've said this question. I've over and over and over again, I've, I've said, I think every sermon I've said this, if we don't do this, who else will? If we don't take seriously the Great Commission and make disciples where we live, work, and play, who else is going to? You know, over again, I've said that and I've made that question every sermon. But the difference between this sermon and all the rest of them is that the answer is a little bit different. See, the answer to this question is that if we don't leave a legacy of faith for the next generation, someone else will and someone else is. We are all being discipled by something or someone. And if we don't stand in the gap for the next generation, will there be a church left? Will there be an influence left? You know, as we enter into a post-Christian world, understanding that, that, that things are different, that if you look at statistics, it doesn't look, it doesn't look good for the church. But here's what we know. When we take the Great Commission seriously, we take ownership and responsibility of handing down the faith to the next generation. Here's what we can say. And 90 years from now, we'll look back and say, you know what? All that was true. But man, we did our part. We were faithful. And my prayer is that we would remain to be a faithful church who make disciples, not just converts, but are faithful to proclaim the gospel, to see people come to know Christ, train them up to go and to proclaim the gospel and train others up in creating a movement of disciple making. My prayer is that in our next 170 years, we will be a church who made a difference. And that's gonna take all of us, not just a few of us, but all of us. And so here's what I wanna do. I'll take some time here in just a minute. I want us to pray and I want us just to ask the Lord to use us, to really use us. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want us just to take some time. And as I pray, I want you to pray along with me and I want you just to ask the Lord, use me to say like Isaiah did to the Lord. Father, here I am, send me. Father, I, th- I think about my own life and I think about the reality that oftentimes I don't feel like I have a whole lot to give. But Lord, here I am, send me, use me. Father, I pray that over every single person in this room. God, that you would use them, that even now you're laying heavily on their heart, that person who is far from you, who needs to hear the gospel, who needs to believe that that person that you're already working in their heart and their mind, calling them to yourself. Lord, I pray for them and I pray, God, that they would say yes and I pray that, Lord, we would be faithful to take them and that we would pour into them and that we would raise them up to go reach more people. God, that we would truly take this commission seriously, not as a suggestion, but as a command. Father, I pray that you would use us to make a difference in this community to the ends of the earth. Lord, why wouldn't you use us? Why wouldn't you? 
All it takes is a simple step of faithfulness, step of obedience, just 15 seconds of courage and let you do the rest. God, help us to be mindful of this commission that you've given us everywhere we go, whether that's at school or work or extracurriculars on the ball field, our neighborhoods, our families. Lord, Thanksgiving's coming up. We're gonna be with all of our extended family, Lord. And I'm just certain that that almost everybody in here, we're, we're gonna get to spend time with people that we love, but maybe there's somebody who's far from God this Thanksgiving. I pray, Lord, that this would be an opportunity for us to share and for you to save and for us to begin a discipleship relationship with someone. So Father, we stand together and we say, Father, here we are. Use us for the next 170 years. Father, use us. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his sweet name that we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.